It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Bill Ham. And today we are the two smart assets. For those yet not familiar with Bill, he is the chief operating officer and the driving force behind Broadwell Property Group. He has upwards of 20 years experience in real estate with a proven track record of identifying, acquiring, operating, and divesting of large footprint multifamily housing. On top of his vast experience, Bill is a two-time best-selling Amazon author of the books titled Creative Cash and Real Estate Raw. Bill, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Man, super excited to have you on the show today. I've been waiting for this for uh, for a little while now. Uh, cool. Pumped, absolutely pumped. You know, we like to kick the show off, show off by hearing more about you, the guest, Bill. Uh, so tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to w- get to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in the business uh, a little over 16 years now. I started in 2005. I was a, a corporate pilot by trade, came out of okay. school, started flying airplanes. That's what I did originally and uh, realized that I, I don't make for such a good employee, number one. Uh, you know, and that um, uh, aviation is great. I love flying airplanes, but what people don't realize is, is a pilot, the flying of the airplane is actually a very small portion. A lot of it is just sitting in a, you know, on the ground waiting to be told when and where to fly. Like, I didn't get that part before I signed up for the job. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I did it for some years and then um, saw friends of mine flipping houses and thought, you know, they're, they're making as much money flipping a house or two as I'm making working all year. And, uh, you know, and those are friends of mine. And so that's not saying much for them. And, and I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it, you know, and uh, at monkey see monkey do. And, and I uh, bought my very first duplex and um, it was cash flow at about 300 bucks a month. And I'd saved up about uh, $10,000. And uh, I walked away from the aviation career with that. Just put in a two week notice, a 10 grand to my name and 300 bucks in cash flow. That's what I started a real estate career with. And uh for better or for worse, I'm still here. I've I've made a lot of money, but I've lost a lot too. So, you know, don't, don't listen to this. Don't think that it was just an up and up trajectory and you just quit your job and everything's great. You know, it it was some good times and some bad times in there. So, you know, perhaps that's not the best advice for everybody. I was 28 years old at the time, no children, no real debt. I thought, screw it. Why not? You know, I mean, worst case, fine. I'll just go back and get a job somewhere, you know was kind of my attitude. So if you're not in that position, maybe quit your job with a duplex, not the best advice, but it worked out for me. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you bring up a lot of good points because, you know, we hear over and over people like, oh, I want to quit my job and get into real estate, right? Well, you know, you were in a unique position where, like you said, you didn't really have a lot of stuff hanging on to you at that point. Like, let me go ahead and do this. So I I think a lot of listeners that are considering quitting their job, make sure you're set up, uh, you know, decently well to make that transition. Yeah, make sure. Yeah, because, you know, that, that caused me, and that was one of my first mistakes that caused me to live on every little penny of cash flow that property mm. produced, which meant I really wasn't taking care of the physicality of the property. Oh. See, I was actually kind of putting the property into its own little death spiral because I was just sucking the lifeblood out of it with every penny of cash flow. 
cheaping out every repair I could possibly cheap out because I had to pay my own rent and eat food and, you know, all this kind of garbage. And, and that actually stressed out some of those assets. So that's something you got to watch out for. And so, because and, I'm a little bit familiar with the story, you know, some of those first properties you picked up with kind of creative uh, financing techniques. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, my first 402 units is all creative financing. 402 units, your first 402 yes. units. So right. were those all single family? Was there an apartment? No, complex uh, no, no, no. Uh, no, single started with single family, moved upwards. Uh, I did a nine unit and then a 20 unit, a 27 unit, a 44 152, then 108, and then 197, and then went on up into some larger ones after that. So no, but but uh, the, the first four and two were, were done with some form of creative financing to take possession. And then I would typically refinance into a bank and, and have long-term stable debt. But it was either lines of credit, uh, you know, partnerships, seller financing, lease options, credit cards, don't do that. Uh, you know, um, yeah, you name it. I've gone out there and done it. And uh, yeah, and then just getting possession of the asset, fixing it up, stabilizing it, you know, renovating, whatever you could do, forcing the value up, refinancing at the bank, and then and then moving on. And so now they have a, a clever term for that. You know, they call it BRRRR, the, the buy, oh, yeah. renovate, refinance, run away, whatever that stands for. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, that's what I was doing my whole career was buying, renovating, and refinancing. And, uh, you know, and, and it works. It does work. You just you know, got to be careful. You got to kind of do it in the right market cycle. As long as, the, long as everything's going up, it works well. Well, I want to get to that here in a minute, but I do want to ask before we get that, just to make sure all of our listeners are on the same page. You know, we don't talk a lot about creative financing on the show, so it's it's great to have you on to be able to hear some of this. Can you, to make sure everybody's on the same page, can you just kind of give us an overview of some of the creative financing techniques you're talking about that yeah. you use in those first 400 plus units mm-hmm. and how they how they work in terms of a deal? Absolutely. The two major ones are going to be seller financing and lease options or master lease options if we're talking about multiple units. Seller financing is pretty straightforward. It's what it sounds like. The seller is acting as the bank. Um, To do that, a seller basically has to own that property free and clear. They can't have a mortgage and then also give you a mortgage. That's, that's, That's called a wrap, and we don't want to get into all that. I don't think that's a very legitimate way to do business. I don't like those, but uh, you know that's essentially it. So for a seller to to give you financing and act as the bank, they have to have the property free and clear. So if they do, that's one method. If they do have a mortgage, then we can typically use a lease option, and that's a a sort of a function of same thing as a lease option. If you're doing houses, it's a master lease option. If you're doing multiple units, that's the difference. It's a function of saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to rent the property from you with the right to buy it someday in the future. All right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, you wanna, you're going to rent me or let me borrow your property. I'm going to come in and do whatever you couldn't do to it, fix it up, get it cleaned up, manage it better, whatever. But I'm setting you and I are going to agree on a price today. And then we're going to agree on an amount of time that I have to purchase that price, which is a, a purchase option, the option to buy the property. And so the idea there is going in and finding a distressed asset or a distressed seller. You know, it doesn't always have to be the asset. It could be a personal reason. And finding something you can, can get your hands on, force the value up above the negotiated option price, then buy the property and you already uh, have a fair amount of equity. So that's that's kind of a rough overview of, of two of the main functions. Uh, you know, there's other ways, there's partnerships and other structures, but those are your biggies right there. I'd say 85% of creative financing is seller financing and lease options. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I appreciate you going over that just to make sure everybody's sure. on the same page. So, so thanks for that. So in terms of these, uh, you know, creative financing strategies that you've used in the past, you know, up to the, to the 400 plus units that you used, uh, getting, using that strat, those strategies, um, you know, the, the number of units seem to have scaled up as you went that way. Right. And then yes, my, my, my question is, are, are these creative financing techniques really, uh, can you use them? App, are they applicable to larger and larger properties? Does, does the, does the size of the property matter? No, not at all. It has absolutely nothing to do with size of property. It has to do with the motivation of the seller. You know, and this, and I, I teach a lot of real estate, and this is something I always tell my students that 90% of a good deal is seller, 10% is the real estate. And people tend to forget that, you know, and it's like you could have the best deal in the world and you have a seller that's not going to play ball, it's irrelevant, you know, and you could have not such a great deal and a really motivated seller. You might work something out that gets interesting, you know. So it's really function of, of of two things. It's creating value with the offer and creating value to a seller that needs that value. Now, if you've got a nice, clean, shiny property and it's doing great and it's making all kind of money, are you going to haul off in seller finance or do some kind of lease option or, or some kind of distressed financing? Probably not. You know, honestly, you're just going to put the thing on the market, sell it, and make a million dollars profit and go on. It's, it's when the seller... When you, the buyer, are going to have trouble getting a mortgage because of something the seller has done, not because you suck, but because the property <laughs> sucks or the seller sucks, that's that's when we use creative financing. And it's, it's kind of going to the seller saying, look, you know, hey, man, you, you've got a, a property here that's not in great shape, the revenue, the deferred maintenance, whatever. And because of that, the evil lender over here, and I always play that good cop, bad cop, you know, I'm on your side. I love you, man, real estate. <laughs> yeah. That evil lender over there says, I can't borrow enough money to buy your property. What do I do? How do I solve your problem? Then that's when you come in with like a creative offer. You know what I mean? So it's about identifying something that, that is distressed or someone that is distressed and your offer creates value. If you can do that, you, you got the golden ticket. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought that up and kind of clarifies for me personally, you know, how this actually sure. works and what, what to look for. So you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, these creative financing techniques and strategies, they work well if you're in the right phase of the cycle, right? So uh, it, in today's, where we're at today, are you finding that creative financing works in today's market? Not quite yet. Yes and ish is, is the answer. Okay. Um, you know, somewhat in working better every day. And I, we're going to see it come on like an avalanche here real soon. So I went through the 08 cycle and we have to understand, first of all, market cycle, and we could talk about this for a day, but sure. you know, we go through market cycles, basically up and down, up and down, you know? And, and so what you want to pay attention to is your debt environment. The lenders, the debt always controls the market. So as you see lenders kind of retreating or, or becoming more conservative, that's usually a tip that we're about to go into a down cycle. And then when you see that coupled with rising interest rates, we're definitely going into a down cycle because that makes money more expensive and, and that makes uh, assets less valuable. Well, when lenders start getting nervous, they start making people put down more money, the interest rates go up, things like this. The first properties to, to get hit with the new tighter lending environment are distressed assets. So right there, you're going to stop being able to get easy money and easy loans on properties that are kind of questionable in their operations. That's where you jump in with the creative financing because, because the bank over here is saying, hey, yeah, we'll do the deal at 60% loan to value. Yeah, we'll do the deal if you put up all this money to do repairs and this, that, and the other. And you're going, why would I do this? That's not, that's too risky. Now you're putting yourself in the lending position of, of possibly going into a foreclosure if you don't perform. 
I don't, I don't want to take that risk. So if you've got a, a property that you've let fall into disrepair, you and I need to come together as buyer and seller to share that risk. That's creative financing. And yes, I'll do a risky deal if you and I are going to come to the table. If this is a function of me, write you a big giant check, you make a ton of profit because you were a bad owner, bad operator. You didn't raise the rents and the property's in bad shape, but you're about to now skate away with a million dollars in profit and I'm going to go get a mortgage. That's just not that interesting to me, especially not in today's market. So that's where I say we're going to see creative financing coming. It has not worked over the last five, six, seven years. Sure. So if you're going, gosh, I've never seen lease options and seller financing. Yeah, that's because the market has been rising so rapidly that even a distressed asset, we can just throw that on the market and call it value add. And you get to charge <laughs> twice as much because it's a distressed asset. You know what I mean? It's like the junkier, the more valuable. You know, I don't get it. But that comes to an end. And when that comes to an end, it comes to an end because lending tightens up and the rates go up. That makes distressed assets tough. That's when we start using creative financing. And that's why I wrote the book and it came out about a year ago, because I know we're about to go into a down cycle where creative financing is going to become very prevalent. And over the next six months, I'm predicting two, three, four years will be a great window for that. So just in terms of multifamily, basically, you're thinking we're kind of at the, yeah. we're at, we're at the top of this, this kind of phase, this cycle right now? I believe okay. we are. And you got to remember the top is, is not a one day peak. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a flat sure. going up and running flat for a while before we go down. So I don't think we're about to see any kind of market crash. I just think we're going to see a cooling off and a leveling off um, in pricing until some of the rents kind of catch up and uh, you know produce a little bit more cash flow than we're seeing in the market right now. Sure, sure. So, so you know, in terms of multi, you're a multifamily guy, I invest passively in multifamily as well. What are some of the mistakes you're seeing, maybe with other groups or whatever you see? You know, I'm sure you see a lot of deals coming across your desk. What are seeing? What are some of the mistakes you're seeing in uh, other groups are making the mistakes that they're making in terms of you know indicators you're seeing or underwriting or whatever? Yeah, I would say several things come to mind. Um, over projecting rent growth, that would be mm-hmm. one. You know, yes, we've had a fair amount of rent growth over the last year or so. But that's been sort of outlier data. And to say that because we had high rent growth this year, we're going to have high rent growth every year. That's kind of a mistake. Um, So I would not be over predicting rent growth, number one. Number two, don't use interest only abusively. That's a biggie that I see a lot of people do it. And that's going to cause that's going to create a lot of uh, motivated sellers, in my opinion. And what I'm talking about is interest only is a good tool if an asset's distressed, you're going to use the, the cash flow to fix it up to do something like that. If you are going to use an interest-only mortgage because it's the only way you can justify the sales price, that's going to get you in trouble. So I would be very careful about a deal that only works interest-only and then does not work if you go into a fully amortized loan. You only want to do that if that interest-only is giving you a real path to progress. Like, hey, this pro- and, and when I mean value add, I mean like vacancy, there's down units, something where you can really get this thing up and running. If it's just a function of, hey, the occupancy is at 95% and the realtor told me the rents are below market, so I'm going to get an interest-only loan and hopefully raise the rents before I go into foreclosure, I don't think I would do that. And that's why I see a lot of people kind of using interest-only in the wrong manner it's to justify uh, the sales price and, and to pay a realtor or to pay a seller too much for real estate. So don't do that. Um, short-term loans, that's another one that I would be careful about today, is getting uh, short-term loans. Short-term loans create what we call maturity exposure. And I think there's a lot of maturity exposure in the world. People over the last two or three years that have gone out and gotten short-term, two-year-only, interest-only type loans, 
And now those loans are about to come due, or they're going to come due in 2022, maybe early 2023. And the loan is going to mature in a higher interest rate environment with less lending uh, appetite. That's going to make for some uh, distressed sellers, uh, motivated sellers. So yeah, those are a couple of things that I would say be careful for in this market cycle. Those are great points. And I love to hear those, especially the rent growth in the IO period uh, or the IO, you know, being able to cash flow with that. Because I know a lot of our listeners are passive investors and they look at these deals that come across their desk, like, hey, you know, and they look at the debt, right? And they see how long this IO period is and they want to see what the cash flow looks like when they transition into, you know, long-term financing, yeah. right? So I think that's that's huge. Yep. And, and I would throw another one in there specifically for you and for other limited partners. I'm not talking about GPs. Now I'm only talking to the LPs listening. Learn how to underwrite a deal. So many LPs out there could not underwrite their way out of a wet paper bag, but you're out here handing people $150,000, you know, $100,000 checks, but you yourself are not capable of the math. And all you're doing is following the no like, and trust model. That's not enough. You know, it's like, oh, I know, like, and trust this guy. Uh, therefore, let me just write him a check. Okay, great. But does this person actually know how to underwrite? And do you know how to underwrite? And do you know how to verify their data? So if you're an LP, go take a class, take one of my classes, anything, consider it assurance, not insurance, but assurance on your next investment. You know, come work with me for a few weeks or whatever. I'll show you how to underwrite deals. And then you've got a lot more assurance in your next limited partner deal that you're investing in a, in a, a solid deal because you do understand the underwriting. Anybody can throw high numbers on a piece of paper, stick it in front of you and go, what a great deal. Can you test those numbers? That's the question. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point. And while, we, while we're on the subject, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, coming maybe on your courses. So like, talk about where... Um, our listeners, their past investors, that they want to learn how to underwrite a deal. Maybe it's your resource. Maybe it's another resource. Can you talk about sure. just a few resources? Well, there's that there's lots of books things like that. Yeah, yeah. But I would say number one, um, realestateraw.com. That's my website. So that's the easiest place. I have some free videos on there and I have some paid information as well. But start with realestateraw.com. Uh, and I would even start with the book, Real Estate Raw, because sure. I do go through how to underwrite a deal. I do teach in there how to underwrite. But uh, yeah, so outside of, of my book and my website, you know, I'm, I'm for hire as well. But outside of all that, yeah, find you a mentor or find someone that can kind of teach you underwriting. There are classes out there. You can, you know, do cheap information, watch YouTube, however you get the data. All I'm saying is learn the basics of underwriting so that you can test uh, an investment's validity. You know, you can you can kind of sit down and, and say, is this uh, you know person underwriting this deal correctly? Because I've seen a lot of students bring me deals and say, hey, you know, this person over here wants me to invest in their deal. Well, you look at it, and I look at it, and the underwriting is extremely aggressive, and sometimes even I don't want to use the word fraudulent, but getting in that direction, you know, in the this person doesn't know better, and I have to sit down with them and say, okay, look, here's how to look at. I'm not going to tell you to invest or not. All I'm going to do is tell you, this is the math. This is how to do the numbers. You know, your choice is up to you. But right there, most people don't know the math. And it's not that difficult. It's really not. You know, a couple hours, I can teach you how to do it, at least to be dangerous. You know, you might not be an expert, but you'll be safe, you know. But that's a great point, right, though. Just knowing how to work your way around a spreadsheet or whatever, you know, these documents kind of know what to look for, you know, what are things that are jump out you, but hey, that's not right, you know, or something like that. Yeah. I think it's a, that's a great point. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Sure. What you are, spend 50 grand, 100 grand, spend a thousand in your education. I mean, come on. Right? It's, 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 not it's really it's cheap. Insurance. It's really, I mean, that's cheap compared to what, you know, if something were to go wrong, right? I mean, isn't it? 
I yeah. mean, you know, when people never look at education as a, as a backstop or a safety net, and, and that's what it is, you know, it's a safety net against how much you could lose if that thing goes wrong. Yep, yep. So I do have a question about, and this is a, a little bit off top, a little bit off sure. topic, but, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, multifamily and where we're at today in this period, this inflationary period, right? And people think, yep. oh, you know, this, this inflation is going to go on for a while, you know, who knows what's going to happen, right? But, you know, obviously the Fed's going to try to do something with, you know, rates and all that stuff, whatever, whether that works or not is to be to be seen, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of investors are thinking like, hey, you know, why not invest in multifamily, even if it's a passive investor, right? Like I have a confidence investing in, in, in multifamily because inflation is going to keep going. So these rent Agreed. growths are going to, are going to, if they go up, this, maybe this is right. Maybe this rent growth doesn't look too bad, but right. you know, that could be a dangerous game. Right. And it that's kind of what be. your point was before. So I'm kind of, kind of curious about your, your thoughts on inflation and, you know, kind of where we're going, how does that plays into um, making investments going forward? Yeah, um, I lots of lots of comments in there. Yes, I believe we've got inflation coming. Absolutely. And being intangible assets such as real estate is always a hedge against inflation. I think that's always a great idea. And you should always get into those deals. Definitely. On the rent growth side, that's where we have to be a little bit careful. I would like it if only the rent was inflating and nothing else was. That's not the world, is it? Gas is going up. Food's going up. Cost of living. Everything's going up. So all we're about to see is a big shift in wealth from the middle class to the upper class. And that's where we need to be a little bit careful when we're penciling out all this rent growth, because the cost of this tenant's living is going up on all sectors. And what you do not want is a tenant who wakes up one day and says, should I pay the rent or should I buy food? You don't want your tenants having to make that kind of decision. So what you don't want to do is to overpay for real estate and then go in there and try and over-renovate because you overpaid and then try and over-raise the rents because you over-renovated because you overpaid. And now you're just mugging the tenant. You're running in there and shoving granite countertops to the tenant and going, give me your wallet. You know, I calm down. Don't, you know, that it's like, that's not such a good idea because if that tenant needed granite countertops and Delta faucets and all this kind of high flying stuff, wouldn't they already live in that unit? You know, real value add in the affordable housing space is just provide a good, clean, stable environment at a decent price that's not over-renovated and not too expensive. So don't overpay for the real estate in the first place. And that, that trickle-down effect won't occur. It, you know, overpaying for the asset to begin with, that's the gift that just keeps on giving. You know, and that's that's where a lot of everybody getting off on the wrong foot. You know, you pay too much and now the whole thing's off. And you're ultimately trying to shove all that down to the rent on the tenant. And you can only get so much money from a wage earner before they cannot afford that anymore. And so what you have to look at is, yes, rents have gone up, but has wage growth kept pace? And will wage growth keep pace? Because if the rents keep going up, the tenant starves or they make a whole lot more money at work. That's the only answer. Well, if they make a whole lot more money at work, then inflation runs wild again, doesn't it? And, you know what I mean? And then the rates go up and then the interest rates go. It's like, all right, so everybody calm down. You know, just, just don't overpay too much to begin with. And this thing will be all right. It's when you get too, too excited and, you know, just kind of say, well, that's the market. I got to buy a deal. I got to buy a deal. You overpay, the whole thing gets off and the tenants wind up paying the price. And if you're lucky and if you're not lucky, you wind up becoming a distressed seller. So that's kind of my caution for the world there is, is 
everybody just calm down. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And I appreciate you diving into that. And I, I agree with you as well. Everybody just calm down. Right. I think that's a, that's good advice. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that you think, you know, we're kind of somewhere to the top, you know, we're making that crest a little bit here, yeah. probably in the next six, 12 months, something like that. How are you positioning uh, maybe your portfolio allocation? I have a lot of, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, Oh, how much cash should I have? You know, should I just invest everything right now because of inflation, and all this stuff? How are you positioning your portfolio uh, for the next phase? You know, oddly enough, and yeah, it wasn't exactly by uh, intent, but I've sold almost everything I own. Uh, some of them we put out on the market just because it was time to exit, time to sell, all that kind of stuff. Several were just completely unsolicited. Somebody knocked on the door and said, Hey, we'd like to pay you a whole lot of money for your real estate. And we went, Yeah, okay. Okay, we'll sell it to you for a whole lot of money. And uh, so, you know, that's just kind of what happened in, in the end of 2021. So I only have a little bit left. I sold almost everything. I'm in a great position. You know, I've, I've cleared every bit of debt in life. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, everything's good. Yeah, but I'm out of a job. So now I'm actually back looking for more deals. I am in a good cash position, but I am looking for deals. So that's just where I'm at today. Not exactly intentional, but it was, you know, it's knowing the market, it's knowing the market cycles. I am looking for deals. I'm back in actively uh, pursuing the market, but I know what I want to buy. I know what is a good deal. And, and the prices are a little high today. So I'm not seeing as many deals as I saw a few years ago, but again, that'll shift and uh, you know it, it'll be fine. But um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Looking to buy more, you know, and when I see a good deal, I'll buy it. Yep. Absolutely. Love to hear that. I know a lot of people are a little timid about, you know, having too much cash on hand because of inflation and stuff like that. But I think that, you know, just like you're saying, we're in, we're in, you know, untreaded, um, uncharted territory. And so if to have some cash on hand is probably wise, you know, pretty much always. It probably is. But again, you know, you, if it's a function of losing money to inflation or losing money to a bad deal, I'll take inflation every day of the week. All day. All you know day. what I mean? Because yep. get, get into a bad deal and suck the money out of a checking account a heck of a lot faster than inflation ever could. Trust me. How do I know? You know? So I'm, I'm just saying, don't, don't use inflation as an excuse to go buy real estate you shouldn't be getting into. That's still not a good idea. Yep. Love to hear that, man. Bill, you know, this has been a great conversation. Before we get out of here, tell us more about your books, Creative Cash, Real Estate Raw, uh, your current focus, and your company, Broadwell Property Group. Absolutely. So yeah, the two books, I have uh, Creative Cash. That book is both are on Amazon, as you mentioned. Uh, Creative Cash is the book about using creative financing to, to fund real estate. The book Real Estate Raw is how to build a portfolio. So they're kind of go in tandem. I'd almost suggest like read Real Estate Raw. That's the how-to of real estate, how to build a portfolio. And then Creative Cash is how to fund the building of that portfolio using creative financing, you know, and creative financing is, is not a one-stop shop. It's just, it's extra tools in the toolbox. You know, it's not the solution to everything. So I don't want you to think you're going to learn, you know, uh, seller financing. And that's all you're ever going to do is get seller financing. That's not true. It's just extra tools. I always tell everybody, uh, creative financing just increases the probability of close. It doesn't guarantee anything. Just helps our odds out. That's it. But uh, yeah, if you want videos, if you want more information, um, more active, you can go to real estate raw or yeah, realestateraw.com, the website. Uh, I've got videos and things there. Um, Broadwell Property Group, that's our investment arm. So real estate raw and all that's the education side. Broadwell Property Group is uh, uh, my partner, Tony Morgan and I. And if you're a, a limited partner out there, you're looking to do business with us, 
go to broadwellpropertygroup.com. Uh, you can go to gobroadwell.com and there's a spot in there that says, you know, investor, just click in there, give us your name info. We'll reach out to you, get on a call with you, kind of discuss what it is you're after. But yes, yeah, so if you're on the education side, realestateraw.com. If you're on the LP side, broadwellpropertygroup.com. Awesome. Awesome, Bill. You know, I, for our listeners, I highly recommend going and checking out all of Bill's stuff, the books, um, the website. He, he's all over social media. I see him everywhere. Uh, go check that stuff out for sure. Connect with him. Doing a lot of good stuff on there. Bill, man, it's been great having you on the show. Really appreciate you Pleasure. taking the time to speak Thank with you. me today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, Connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.